five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA, fighting for mail and direct marketing and thinking every day. Glad you're with us. Comment, share. Shares are worth like 20 likes. <clears throat> and you can't give 20 likes, so share. Uh, it's really nice. Yeah. David Kaplan shared Friday's article, which was from uh, Stephen Yu. <clears throat> and uh, we got a lot of we got a lot of comments and things. That was really good. Anyway, <clears throat> let's dig into the news. Okay, so this isn't this is a uh, a commercial from Carlsberg, and it's a it it's about drinking and boating. It starts with more than half the deadly boating accidents involve alcohol. And I'm thinking, according compared to what? Like a baseline. What's our baseline? How many people on boats are using alcohol? <clears throat> From my 60 years of experience, when I could tell, it seemed like just about everybody was. <laughs> Which means that if 100% of the people are using alcohol, but only 50% of the, of the deadly boating accidents involve alcohol, doesn't that mean that the those... That don't involve alcohol that that not using alcohol is more dangerous I don't know you always have to have a baseline you always have to have to control to control numbers yeah, compared to what you have to ask yourself <clears throat> that's the essence of direct marketing but let's see this commercial okay so they built this underwater bar and then thunk somebody falls in the water now falling in the water is not necessarily deadly I've fallen in plenty, even in the ice. And so there's this pub underneath the water that you can actually go visit. It's a real, it's really underwater. And uh, don't drink and boat, stay sober and float. Anyway, it's com almost completely lost on me. But, um, you know... <laughs> I don't know in Wisconsin. I think they're finally they finally passed some laws about you know if you have a huge accident or something and you're and you're you know there's some there's some drinking and driving laws but there's I don't think there's much and there wasn't much for a long time and and the truth is you know there's a lot of room in most places where you can boat it's one of the safer places you could drink but then you got to get in your car and drive home so uh, it's not entirely safe. But anyway, you can view this bar, and you can even you can even uh, dive down to the bar for a round of non-alcoholic beer on the bottom of the oceans. How they do that, I'm not sure. Maybe you stick your maybe you stick yourself mouth onto the onto the tapper. You know, it can't just tap underwater. It, the salt water would mix in there, and it wouldn't work. So mostly, you know, they got my attention, but that's about it. Okay, Copyright Office declines to recommend news aggregators pay for snippets. And, of course, the reason I was interested in this is because this is a snippet, as far as I can tell. That's not what, that's not what they were really upset about. What they were upset about was that Google takes a piece of your website that you have maybe your own, you know, your own personally created content. And so somebody will ask about direct marketing, and they can take a piece of your website from, say, Miglosh Marketing, Migmar.com, and they can put it in the Google search, and you never have to go and see the context or get to the, the, the other site to get 
visitors and views. And the Copyright Office said that's okay because publishers also benefit because they depend on news aggregators for discoverability. And in general, you know, when I mention like Wendy Davis here, she writes me and says thanks. Uh, thanks for the mention. And so, you know, on uh, yesterday's little video, my Star Spangled Banner video, uh, I got something like, I got something like, uh, 300 impressions, whatever the heck an impression is. It's not the same as a view, um, but shares are better. Okay, so journalists also use aggregation services themselves. And um, they also pointed to Google's book scan project, which has been a really interesting, you know, they really got good at scanning books. And they scan a lot of books that are way out of print and impossible to find. And there's a, there's a tremendous benefit in that, in, in my opinion. But in many cases, they couldn't even find who the copyright holder was and how they could pay them. And so uh, the whole thing got, got put on hold. I don't know what the status of it is, but it's good to see that this may help that, may help dust that off, which would be an excellent thing. Because a lot of times, you know, especially in academics, you'll have a, an article that's beautiful, but it's based on other articles and you can't get to those other ones. And so we need a better chain of custody for intellectual property. How catalogers are understanding and responding to the post-pandemic world by Jim Coogan. And there's a lot, lot of good stuff in here, okay, from my total retail. Um, but it's almost, it's so choppy, it's almost like he's outlining it and then accidentally sent it in like that i wish it would have had a little more flow to it it's all bullet points so jim uh jim would be it would be nice you know stories are excellent <laughs> so most catalogers saw significant changes to their business with the onset of the pandemic never mind most retailers were forced to close and so where else do you buy stuff when you want you, you know when you want a uh, an, an indoor lava lamp or something. Okay, there's one right over there. That's why I was looking over to that side. It isn't, it hasn't started bubbling yet, but it will. So, um, how do your sales trends compare to your past results? Um, and down further down, it says your, your re most recent response, your most recent results are your most, what does he say down here? Your most recent results are your most reliable results for planning your future. Unless things have changed. This one sentence goes against most of what's in this whole article. Because what it says is, is that there was a bump. They saw significant changes. Well, in a world of change, unless you understand the, the reference point, something like the baseline in the Carlsberg story. I also noticed, and I didn't, I didn't get to it, but that that Carlsberg made the point that 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 Swedes drink two, they drink 20 liter, 20 million liters of this non-alcoholic beer a year as as a significant amount. But there's 10 million Swedes, which is only two liters per year. Now, of course, that's kids too, but kids could drink it. You could feed your kid non-alcoholic beer all day long, as far as I know. I don't think it, I mean, 
I don't know if you can, I, in, you know, in some states, in Wisconsin, you can serve your kids beer and you can go with them into a bar. Uh, they can't buy, they can't go to the store and buy it for you <laughs> Not until they're 21. Wisconsin is a funny place, but Europe is even more funny. You know, when we went to Europe when I was 16, man, we were we were drinking all the time. My dad would always say, bring, you know, three liters of beer and two little glasses. And they'd bring five. They'd bring five liters of beer and we'd drink it all. Anyway, and my brother and sister were even younger. Um, shout out to Mary. She's a big fan of Jim Coogan's. Um, okay, so then he, but he, you know, he qualifies it. How do your sales trends compare to your past results? You have to understand that context. If there's a bump because they closed all the other stores, if there's a bump because you are selling something like air filters, we had a client that was selling, they, they regularly did this. Every spring they sold it for allergies. They, they sold air, air filters. That was probably one of the number one things you could do for COVID was to have uh, to have highly filtered air. But the hand wash worldview was paramount. Back in the 1800s, the bad air was paramount. And when a doctor suggested that the reason five times more women were dying in the surgical wing, in, uh, in the uh, maternity surg wing with the surgeons, than with the midwives, uh, and he suggested that the surgeons wash their hands on the way to the maternity wing, that and and the death rate went down fivefold suddenly instead of saying oh it must be the hand washing we're bringing bad stuff from the autopsies we're doing over to the maternity wing instead they fired him and he ended up going insane but eventually his work proved out that hand washing is important and so then we got into this it's only hand washing that matters and if you remember, you had to wash your hands for 20 minutes or something at the beginning of the pandemic. And I did for a little while. Uh, but, you know, then I got sick of it. <laughs> and, you know, and I did other things. I didn't just ignore it, I admit. But I did ruin one of my keyboards because I had touched a business card and then I had typed. And I thought, oh, now it's all over my keyboard. And I sprayed it with disinfectant. And that was in the end of that keyboard. So now I have a computer over here that's got a Japanese replacement keyboard, which makes typing a little tricky. You have to kind of not think about it. Anyway, so you have to understand the context. What's going on around it? Okay, the stores are closed. Or we're selling stuff that all of a sudden hygiene products disinfect your phone, disinfect this, you know, UV light, disinfect packages as they're coming. You know, for a while my kids were trying to disinfect every bag at the grocery store everything that they brought at the grocery it was really something again the hand wash theory was actually the air filter was a probably a better idea but anyway the hope that pandemic sales would continue is unrealistic but only if you understand the context right jim i think jim's saying that i think he is i think we're agreeing but as i said it's all bullet points many catalogers also saw big increases in the rate of new customers making a first-time purchase so new new customers right but are the first-time buyers acquired during the pandemic converting from triers to buyers and making all that that all-important second purchase from your catalog? That's a good question. And if most of them aren't, how do you find the good ones? That's always the puzzle. 
The puzzle is how do you rule out the dead, the, the ones that aren't ever going to buy again? And a lot of times, how are they acquired, right? We found that, that that's always been a great method. Did they buy on sale or did they buy full price? Another one that tells you, will they buy again? Okay, so there's a lot of things you can do. And if you're, if you're in this state right now, we can actually take your customer file and analyze it with 500 variables without sending it to, you know, you can also send it to the co-ops, but they will not probably do the, do the level of forensic analysis that we do. Okay, so catalogers that experience big spikes in first-time customers may see these one-and-done buyers being flushed out of their databases, especially they'll be flushed if all they use is RFM or some simplistic view, right? Uh, they might be there because merchandise categories became more popular, right? Uh, some catalogers saw a boost because most pandemic stores were closed, yes. Um, an all-important rate of converting first triers into two-time buyers. What's your rate of conversion there? By source, by product purchase category, by all those things. You can matrix all these things with a multidimensional customer database, which most aren't. Okay? Um, this is not only, but inflation now is causing some geodemographics. A lot of times catalog buyers are older. And so maybe fixed incomes. So not only is the COVID bump gone, but it's being replaced with declines in response rates. Okay, again, can you figure that out? If you need, if you need ideas on how to figure this out, how to implement, well, we only have 40 years of catalog consulting. So you might want to give us a call. I've been mystified that I don't get more calls. Uh, I suggest you call. You don't have to be a member of the WDMA, although it's a good start. You know, send us some financial, some financial encouragement, and we're happy to take your calls. Happy to talk uh, if you feel guilty about just calling out of the blue. But I love questions. I love puzzles. That's why I've always loved consulting, and why I'm a little stumped sometimes that we don't get more questions. Just give me a call. My number's on LinkedIn. And if you can spell Miglas, you can find me there. Okay. Um, so here he gets into some specifics. What will your catalog cost be after unending series of, and it is unending because we've always fought these things. I mean, by fought, I mean we've always been creative when postal increases and paper, paper increases come through. Plan catalog printing further into the future. And, of course, the further you go into the future, should that be farther? The farther into the future you look, the uh, more difficult the above question will be. So, um, but, you know, understand that hyper growth during pandemics probably isn't sustainable, never was. But if you can glean from that massive new influx, catalogers are coming out of the pandemic with much larger buyer files. If you can figure out which ones are worthy, or more importantly, which ones are not worthy, and you can figure out ways to keep testing that. You know, I was impressed when I worked with Cabela's that they would, at the tail end of their mailing, they would test dozens of 5,000-piece segments. Farther down in recency, uh, farther out uh, in older multi-buyers, things like that. Um, it was amazing how much they tested. 
And uh, Dick was big on testing. He was a good guy. Okay, managing those bigger files is a key to achieving maximum profitability. And that's what we've been in the business of. We've literally been modeling for 27 years. Uh, we still have all the tools in place, and we're uh, we're we're uh, we're partnering with a, a a bunch of young people and teaching them how to do it. So if you're worried that you know <laughs> the number one complaint against my company has been, well, what if you get hit by a bus? Well, first of all, there aren't any buses much going through Heartland, so you don't have to worry. But I'm still here, so. But now we have backups and we have a relationship with some younger people and they're learning to take the wisdom and apply it. But the first part, if you get my book, it just I just found out it's no longer available in paperback. I have like the last copy. I wish I would have bought more, uh, but I didn't know they were running out. I'm going to I'm working on a third edition, which will have some new um, new insights in it. Um, but the first step is turning your straw into usable stuff straw is not a usable product anyway uh give me a call if you got questions about your customers about your about your segmentation about your circulation your creative um just if you just want to say hey you know which would you rather use epsilon or wyland well i like phil a lot uh, i've been working with abacus over the years a lot there's alternatives you can do that similar things internally and maybe make it work way better for you without trading your hotline buyers for your for for reactivating your oldest buyers. There's ways to do that. Anyway, have a great day. Like and share. Happy fourth week. Bye bye.